Welcome aboard, everybody. You're on the voice of one, The VU. And what episode of The VU is this? 99. That's right, Toto. It's episode 99 of The Voice of One. No, it's not the dog. It's the band named Toto. <laughs> All right, folks. Hey, uh, sorry. I'm sorry that uh, we didn't get to 99 when it was scheduled uh, to be on Friday. That's when 99 should have rolled out. But, uh, gosh, the end of the week and the weekend schedule, absolutely wall-to-wall crazy. Good crazy, but uh, busy, busy. And so not even a weekend edition. But uh, here we are on Monday, April 26th, year of our Lord 2021, with episode 99, Woody Cumby, your host here, bringing you the busy is good blend of coffee, current events, faith, and FSU sports. Now, uh, speaking of FSU sports, uh, spring sports, spring sports, doing well, doing well, your Seminoles, they're doing well. I bring you the relative rankings, the NCAA rankings of uh, FSU Spring Sports. Uh, Here they are. Women's soccer, number one in the nation. Men's golf, number one in the nation. Beach volleyball, number three. Women's tennis, number six. Softball, number seven. Women's golf, number nine. Women's track and field, number nine. Men's track and field, Number nine. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight teams in the top ten. Meanwhile, baseball at the lowly 25th spot. Speaking also of sports and uh, the 20s, what about a 21-year-old? 21-year-old. That's uh, Colton Herta. Yep, IndyCar underway and 21-year-old Colton Herta drove his uh, Gainbridge car uh, in the Grand Prix of St. Pete to first place, a dominating win. And so the first two races of, of IndyCar this year uh, would seem to indicate the Young Bucks are in charge with Alex Palau uh, winning the first race and now Colton Herta winning the second race. Now, also speaking of the 20s, um, We're now at 23, 23 days, 23 days since, uh, since Kamala Harris was designated to be the point person, the lead person on the border crisis. And we have yet to have a press conference addressing the issue and the solutions, which of course they're ready made. I mean, these Democrats, I mean, they have ready made solutions, I guess, until they're actually in charge, but uh, 23 days and without a peep. And uh, as I've told you before, I think her own political advisors are telling her uh, that this is a disaster at the border and uh, you don't want to be anywhere near it. You don't want to be saddled with this uh, for when you become president and then run for president in 2024. Don't get near it. So she's uh, shunning this in every possible way, shirking the responsibility given to her on national television by the president of the United States. But uh, she's her own woman, a woman of color, and so it's her prerogative, of course, not to have anything to do with what the old white man said. So that's what she's doing, staying silent. 
Now, meanwhile, in woke and broke news, woke and broke news, uh, there's <laughs> there's the Oscars. <laughs> oh my goodness, folks, the Oscars. Ah, well, of course, their ratings were already falling, the Oscars, because nobody wants to be lectured by uh, a bunch of ho- the Hollywood. Think about it, Hollywood, the people whose lives are being portrayed on the magazines that are right there at the checkout counter, right? The latest divorce, the baby, the whatever it is, the drama, right? The, it's, it's enough to fill a magazine month after month after month at the checkout counter. And uh, those people are going to take a morally pos- uh, uh, superior position and lecture us uh, about how we should uh, be looking at life. So nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. These people get paid millions of dollars to stare into a camera and uh, read some lines uh, as an actor or actress. Nobody wants to be lectured uh, by those people. So their ratings were already on the way down, but... Oh, my, this week they just tanked completely, not surprisingly, but completely. Uh, yeah, according to Variety, uh, who, uh, which was citing the Nielsen numbers, uh, there was about 9.85 million viewers who watched the Oscar show on Sunday evening, and that is an almost 60% decline from just last year. It's a 13.75 million viewer drop from last year. Wow. And in their key demographic group, 18 to 49-year-olds, they had a... <laughs> the show, the Oscar show, it earned a 1.9 rating. I mean, it's just like, wow, wow. Ah, But that's what happens. That's what happens when you go over the top political and try to preach instead of just doing what, just, just celebrate the movies, celebrate the actors and actors, celebrate the people who put out the music and the cinematography and the costumes and the music, all that stuff. Just celebrate the stuff, give out their awards, just don't lecture, just... Thank the people who helped with the production. Don't lecture us about politics. Don't lecture us about wearing our mask or whatever it is. But that they, they don't understand. They, they have to value signal uh, whatever it is. Anyway, they're, they're going broke. They went, bro- they went woke, and they are going broke. Um, now, universities, they don't really have to worry about going broke because uh, they're like in this insulated bubble. Uh, it seems, anyway. I bring you this news from across the pond. I bring you this from the mother country. Uh, this from the London Times, the Times. On uh, This is Billy Kinber wrote this article. Uh, it was published, actually, uh, on April 12th. Here's the headline. It says, It's elitist to mark down bad spelling. Universities insist. Okay, and uh, of course, if I had been the editor, I would have misspelled one or two of those words in the headline just as a little poke back. But anyway, uh, English humor, uh, I guess, was missing. So here's here's a couple of the the paragraphs that says university tutors are being told not to dock marks for spelling mistakes because requiring good English could be seen as, quote, homogeneous, North European, white 
male elite, end quote. Several universities, no, 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 that's, that's homogeneous, North European, white, male elite. All right. Uh, next paragraph. Several universities are adopting inclusive assessments as part of an effort to narrow the attainment gap between white and black, Asian and minority ethnic students, and to reduce higher dropout rates among those from poorer backgrounds. Hull University has said it will, quote, challenge the status quo, end quote, by dropping the requirement for a high level of technical proficiency in written and spoken English in some subjects, a requirement it describes as white, male, and elite. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. News from the wokosphere uh, as it's over manifesting over in London. All right, folks, uh, be back in just a moment. Uh, I have four segments today on episode 99. Biden does good, turning in the badge, D.C. statehood, and a time to wake up. All right? <laughs> so I'll be right back. All right, thank you, Toto. Now, segment number one. Biden does good. Now, I think it's safe to say that uh, this will not likely be a segment titled very often on the voice of one. That is, Biden does good. But if he does good, I think it should be recognized, and he's done really good on this particular item. And that is, he has, as president, for the first time in history, uh, officially recognized as President of the United States the genocide of Armenians at the hands of the Turks way back in World War I. Now, I'll read you just a little bit about this in case you're not familiar with the genocide that occurred in Armenia. Now, Armenia is to the east, to the east of Turkey. Remember, uh, on uh, the border uh, almost in disputed area between Turkey and Armenia is Mount Ararat, where the Bible says that the ark came to rest. Okay? So uh, here we go. Here's part of what Wikipedia says about the Armenian genocide. It says the Armenian genocide was the systematic mass murder and ethnic cleansing of around one million ethnic Armenians from the Armenian highlands, Anatolia, and adjoining regions by the Ottoman Empire and its ruling party. Now, the Ottoman Empire, that's the Turkish uh, Muslim uh, empire that uh, spread across uh, Central Asia, the Ottoman Empire. Now, it says, during their invasion of Russian and uh, Persian territory, uh, Ottoman paramilitaries massacred local Armenians. Massacres turned into genocide following the, cat the catastrophic defeat in the Battle of, and it names the place, in 1915. And they blamed the loss on their Armenians, and then they began to take it out on them. And so uh, it says uh, that basically at the order of their leader, an estimated 800,000 to 1.2 million Armenian women, children, and elderly and infirm people were sent on death marches leading to the Syrian desert in 1915 and 1916. 
driven forward by paramilitary escorts, the deportees were deprived of food and water and subject to robbery, rape, and massacre. In the Syrian desert, they were dispersed into a series of concentration camps. And so it goes on and on, and they die off and die off and die off. And finally, the ones that were left uh, were simply killed off. Now, this uh, clear genocide uh, has, for whatever political reasons, all along the way here, been kicked to the curb by American presidents and American administrations of both Republicans and Democrats. And, of course, when eventually, uh, after World War II, after uh, Turkey came into uh, NATO and all that kind of stuff, it's like, well, Turkey's our ally, and we don't want to disturb them, and we don't... And any time there was any move in the UN or even the U.S., a rumbling of uh, recognizing this, they would push back and stomp their feet, and whoever it was would back off. Well, congratulations to Joe Biden, uh, who actually came out and recognized uh, this genocide. Now, folks, a couple other things you should know about this. Number one, uh, I have been to the Genocide Memorial Park in Erevan, Armenia. I've been there. I've seen the eternal flame. Uh, I've seen the memorial walls with... uh, uh, the, the, the monument to uh, all of these lost lives and the entire park that's dedicated uh, to their memory. Uh, very, very moving, uh, somber uh, place uh, there in uh, Erevan, the capital city of Armenia. Second thing you should know is that Armenia is the only Christian nation in an island of Muslim controlled nations. The Armenian Orthodox Church, like 98-99% of the people uh, in Armenia are either Armenian Orthodox or perhaps a few Russian Orthodox. Uh, But it's a Christian nation, and uh, it is surrounded by Muslims. Uh, And they were slaughtered. They were slaughtered uh, by uh, the Turks in the Ottoman Empire. Uh, by the way, if you go to that Wikipedia article on Armenian genocide, you'll, you'll read in there where there were, of course, many, many who were forced uh, to um, uh, convert, quote-unquote, to Islam uh, at sword point. And if they didn't, they were killed. And that's the uh, Muslim idea of evangelism uh, in this 1915 uh, genocide of the Armenians. So congratulations to Joe Biden for recognizing that atrocity. All right, so uh, segment number two is turning in the badge, turning in the badge. Uh, There was a gentleman, uh, Las Vegas Police Lieutenant Randy Sutton. Uh, He was actually a former uh, Las Vegas guy. Now, he was a guy who appeared several times on Cops, and he was on various shows back in the day. Uh, Anyway, he was a a police lieutenant in Las Vegas, and he was on the Faulkner Focus on Monday, uh, and he's talking about the fact that we're in the beginning stages of a criminal justice crisis in America. Uh, uh, 5,300 New York Police Department uniform officers retired in 2020 or filed papers to leave, a 75% spike from the previous year the New York Post reported. Now, here's what Randy Sutton said on uh, the Harris Faulkner program. 
Uh, he says, the area I want to talk about right now is the psychological and emotional injuries that are taking place because they are part and parcel of why cops are leaving at record levels. And it isn't just New York Police Department. It's quite literally every major city in the country. And um, I've been, you know, during our discussions previously, Harris, I forecasted a criminal justice crisis, and it's barreling towards us. A public safety crisis is coming toward us like a freight train. And we're seeing, this is just the beginning. I don't want to sound like, you know, about the, uh, uh, the sky is falling, but the sky is falling. And that's his quote. And there's no doubt, if you look at uh, metropolitan police departments around the country, uh, folks are just leaving in droves. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Uh, and, and so we're, we're in, in for a crisis. Uh, the police are leaving. The departments are being defunded uh, by the kind of folks that are in power in Washington uh, and in other blue state capitals. And the police, the police force, which is... Uh, putting their lives on the line every single day to protect every kind of citizen, no matter what the circumstance, uh, they're just, that, that's it. They, they know that the, that the polit politics of it, they know that the government and even the judiciary doesn't have their back. And so they're done with it. And I don't blame them at all, at all. Number three, D.C. statehood. You probably read that the House now has actually passed a bill that would uh, make D.C., Washington, D.C., a state. Now, it's got to go through the Senate. There are other things that have to happen, but this is what the House has done. Now, folks, there's a reason why this, the, the United States Capitol is in the, quote, District of Columbia and not in a state. And the idea is that the ground on which the federal government sits has no stake in what's happening over there in the state in the uh, federal government, right? Because it's not a state; it's its own little enterprise. So, uh, but anyway, they don't they don't know enough about that history to know that. All they know is they've got a they've got a, a population in D.C. in a very very small place that is. 100% Democrat, from which they can get two senators, two senators, for what would be the smallest population by far of any quote-unquote state in the nation, right? And uh, I mean, I don't, I don't even know if they would, I guess they would get like one representative, but they would get two senators and virtually put the Senate in a uh, Democrat majority lock. I mean, it would just, and, and that's what they know. That's what that's, that's, they know that, and that's what they're trying to do. So they're trying to pack the courts, and then there's no joke. That's what they're actually in the process of trying to do. And they want to make D.C. a state. No joke. It's what they actually, not just, this is not right-wing stuff. This is what they actually are passing in Washington, D.C. And here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen, they told you so. They said they were going to radically transform America. It goes all the way back to Barack Obama, right? This is, look, make no mistake about it. This administration is Barack Obama 2.0. I mean, for all I know, he's calling the shots. I mean, clearly the guy at the top isn't calling the shots, right? And she doesn't know what she's doing either. So uh, he, for all I know, he's down the street calling the shots. At any rate, they said they would radically transform America, our constitutional structures, our institutions, 
uh, if they gain control of the presidency and the Senate. And they have. And they have. And they understand now that they have two years. The clock is ticking. They have two years, actually, obviously less now, uh, than two years to ram through every liberal agenda item that they can before the American people wrest back control of the nation. Now, D.C. statehood is transformative, and you can't just back out of it because, because somehow the Republicans get the majority in 2022. It's, it's, it's transformative. The, they, they, these, these are not things that are being done by executive order, and they can't be undone by an executive order. And so that they would not be undone anytime soon. And so here's what's happened. Trump hatred and the daily anti-Trump propaganda blinded otherwise level-headed Republicans into voting for Biden. Voting against pro-life, pro-business, pro-border, pro-America policies of the Trump administration. They took the bait hook, line, and sinker. Their consciences soothed by people like John Piper, the Gospel Coalition, pro-life evangelicals for Biden. You know, these folks that are out there now saying, oh, wait, wait, this isn't what we bargained for. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'll just, uh, I'll, I'll close with this uh, audio. This is uh, former Secretary of uh, Housing and Urban Development, Ben Carson, right? And I just want you to hear just a little bit of what he said the other night on the Hannity Show. Take a listen to Ben Carson. You know, I, I think it's going at a very macro level. You have to remember about 60 years ago, Nikita Khrushchev said, your children's children will live under communism and we won't have to fire a shot. You know, what was he talking about? He was talking about the ability to gain control of our educational system so you can indoctrinate the kids, gain control of the media so that you could spoon feed the people only what you wanted them to hear, exclude the things you didn't want them to hear. He was talking about replacing God and confidence in God with government. He was talking about raising the debt to such incredible levels that you could justify massive taxation, redistribution of wealth, and complete control by the government. We need to wake up. That's right. We need to wake up. Now, just think about it. Ben Carson, this man you just listened to, that's the kind of man that we had in government just a few months ago, heading up one of our major agencies of the federal government. And we swapped that out for what we have up there today. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And we did it to a no small degree on the basis of those who are in our local churches who decided that they were uh, too offended by the tweets to see the big picture of what we had in place in Washington and instead voted in Kamala Harris and Joe Biden and the kind of people that they're appointing. Unbelievable. Time to wake up, ladies and gentlemen, and be a voice of one wherever you are. All right, folks. Hey, this is uh, episode 99, and uh, we'll be back with the 100th edition of The Voice of One in just two days. God bless you guys, and we'll see you then.